Hey guys, apologies for the delay since our last episode. The new year has been a hurricane of behind the scenes difficulties one after the other. Fortunately, the next few episodes should be pretty simple to produce, so I don't anticipate a delay like this one coming up anytime soon. Thankfully, uh, at the risk of sounding like the world's cheekiest bastard, if you'd like to help make the show easier to produce, uh, please consider backing our Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash relived. And for as little as £1 a month, you can back our show and get access to bonus content, including, at uh, the higher tiers, uh, a recent video episode in which I take a look at the divas farting around at the beach. Thank you all for your continued support, and thank you even more for your continued patience, guys. I appreciate every ounce of it, trust me. And now, on with the show. From 2002 to 2008, World Wrestling Entertainment produced the Ruthless Aggression Era. Ruthless Aggression! As a power vacuum formed in the wake of wrestling's biggest boom period, WWE producers and superstars alike worked to reinvigorate their company and recapture success and acclaim. In the process, a string of future Hall of Fame level talent rose to the top and enjoyed crossover appeal in the public consciousness. We're going to take a trip back in time and travel through this amazing period in WWE history. The matches, the storylines, the home media and more. Every triumph and every heartbreak. Whether you were watching as it all unfolded, or you're here to learn about this era for the first time, this series will have something for you. This is Ruthless Aggression Relived. Ruthless Aggression! Since our last episode. On the Raw brand, for the second time since WrestleMania 18, Stone Cold Steve Austin failed to show up to work. Not part of the planned storyline, Austin's walkout was very much real life, and a direct result of Austin's frustrations boiling over. Austin would come to cite burnout as the reason for his departure, and his frustrations with his character's creative handling since the previous year's WrestleMania had been well known. The WWE immediately spun a narrative that Austin had taken his ball and gone home. With Austin out of the picture, storylines had to be hastily rewritten on the fly. Ric Flair was no longer owner of Raw, with Mr. McMahon defeating him in a no-holds-barred match to regain 100% control of the WWE. With both Flair and Eddie Guerrero suddenly lacking the individual they'd been paired with in storylines, the decision was hastily made to turn Flair babyface by having Guerrero and Chris Benoit turn against him and put Flair and Guerrero in a match at King of the Ring. Jeff Hardy continued to show his fearlessness against The Undertaker, with both Hardy boys clashing with the dead man. While Undertaker started off enraged at the brothers, there was an undeniable respect started to form on his face as matters escalated. Trish Stratus decided to body shame Molly Holly. You know, like babyfaces do. Tough enough one runner-up Christopher Nowinski made his official debut, aligning himself with William Regal and defeating Spike Dudley in the process. 
On the SmackDown brand, Chris Jericho, Lance Storm, Test and Christian would begin to suspect there may be an anti-Canadian sentiment in WWE. Tough Enough 2 winners, Jackie Gaeta and Linda Miles, had the most first chapter of My Rise feud a WWE fan could possibly imagine. Jamie Noble defeated Billy Kidman to earn a shot at the Hurricanes WWE Cruiserweight Championship. Kurt Angle talked absolutely mad shit about Hulk Hogan. He was right to do so. The WWE wrangled themselves airtime for a television special the week after tonight's show, and decided the best way to fill that airtime would be by putting their female competitors in their underpants. The run-up to this knicker nonsense somehow managed to be the primary storyline for almost every female in the company. It was, indeed, 2002. On Confidential, Gene had a lovely new desk. The show ran an interview in which The Rock suggested he'd be returning to WWE soon. Sooner than planned, that is, with Austin's departure moving the timetable ahead. In full-on panic mode, The Rock was now booked for tonight's event, with the company being extremely careful not to reveal he would not be wrestling. Just in case you might be tricked into buying the show, of course. All of which leads us to tonight, where, after a handful of qualifying matches, the King of the Ring tournament semi-final matches and final round match will take place. To earn a spot on tonight's show, Rob Van Dam defeated X-Pac, Brock Lesnar defeated Booker T, Test defeated Hardcore Holly, and Chris Jericho defeated the Big Val Boski. The longest of these matches was 6 minutes flat, and none of the others reached the 4 minute mark, which should give you an idea of how much of an afterthought the tournament had become. Sean Stasiak continued to act like a cunt. Hello and welcome back once again to Ruthless Aggression Relived, your trip down wrestling memory lane. Uh, hosted by me, LT Fletcher, and I'm joined this week by one of my very best friends in the world of wrestling, and that's the one and only Slip from New Legacy. Slip, how are you doing today, man? It's been a while since we've had a proper chat. How are you doing? Uh, doing alright. Last time I had to apologize because I was getting married and we had the delayed Judgment Day 2002. <laughs> this time I was just, uh, very un... what's the word I'm looking for? Unavailable? Because of work? So I, I have to apologize again for the time, <laughs> the untimeliness of this episode. That's okay. I mean, to be fair, I was worried that sentence was going to go into a dark place there. With you no, no, no. Well, last time I had to, we had, we had to hold up as I got married. This time I was getting divorced. <laughs> that, that would have come as a surprise to me. Uh, but, no, if, but no, thankfully that is not the case. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, if I made her watch the show, maybe we'd end in divorce. But <laughs> who's who's to say? Yeah, I th I think we're in for a bit of an interesting one this evening because I um, just before we hit record. I asked Slip how he was doing, and Slip's had to watch this show twice for the sake of his yes. notes. Um, and he said, well, you tell me how I'm doing, I haven't watched the show twice. And I, I assumed, you know, you're probably doing fine, you're doing tremendously. Uh, Slip, do you want to tell the listeners what you told me? This was one of the worst pay-per-views I've seen. I not am in terms incensed. Of, <laughs> not in terms of it being, like, a full of terrible things, it's just... Hmm. Everything was so... Well, we'll get into it, but nothing stood out, and we'll get into that. Hmm. Well then, ladies and gentlemen, let's, as Slip says, get into it. King of the Ring 2002 took place on the 23rd of June 2002. There we go. All the facts 
on this show. Uh, it took place in front of 14,198 fans, which actually seems quite low, but in fairness, it is a small venue. Um, however, the buy rate of 320,000, uh, that's what I've got at least, is actually down over 100,000 from the previous year, so that is not great. No, it is not. Uh, we are joined at ringside by Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler in the Nationwide Arena for this Pissing It Down With Rain themed pay-per-view. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I, I have here uh, Jerry, Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross welcomes to ringside and the bottom thirds are comprised of what I can only refer to as rapidly ejaculating cum pipes. <laughs> it's very strange that nobody seemed to pick up on that. Yeah, there, I, there's there's a graphic you sent me during one yes, of your exactly what I was about to say. where the pipes right in front of Triple H's crotch. <laughs> uh, just for a point of reference, the Columbus Blue Jackets, which is the hockey team that play in the Nationwide Arena, uh, their average attendance last year was sixteen thousand two hundred thirty-seven, and again, the WWE only got fourteen thousand in that building. So, and that's average attendance as well. Yeah, so, so that's highs and lows, and that's mm. the median, but. So that is 20 years in the future. I don't know how much they've added in terms of seating, but that's, that's not fair. a great number. No. We open the show then with a video package showcasing previous King of the Ring winners. We see clips of Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, Kurt Angle, and Edge. And then we get footage of each of tonight's semi-finalists who each state their intent to win. And uh, we get the reiteration that the winner of the tournament will receive a WWE Championship match at SummerSlam. Which, frankly, is how they should have done King of the Ring all along. And it's amazing to me that they haven't done it since when they've brought it back in recent years. Yeah, that's easy easy storytelling. Yeah. You have a, a one-night, like either two or three match tournament, and the winner gets a pay-per-view match. I mean, that you can, literally can just build off of that. It's yeah. so easy. Well, this is the thing that after after tonight's show, we've got the next two pay per views are basically written for them. Effectively, <laughs> like they they don't have to worry about what the winner of the tournament's going to be doing for the next two months. So, speaking of the tournament, then our opening contest of the evening is a semi final match pitting Chris Jericho against Rob Van Dam. And I love oh. I love Jericho's gear. It's like holographic, like he's a, a special shiny sticker out of a pack of WWE stickers. Absolutely. Uh, before we actually do that. There's one thing I have to say. Mm -hmm. The stage is amazing. It's a good one. Like the it's the electric chair, uh, King of the Ring, and like there's like an LED sign like on the the front of the chair. It's such a good stage. I love the pay per view specific stages. I miss them. I I I I really genuinely miss them. And I I'm not even one of these people that's terribly you know, really, really upset or up in arms about the fact that on your weekly shows now you just have a gigantic LED board. Because it mm. is boring, but at the same time, like, for TV, okay, I don't really care that much, but for the pay-per-views, it gave them an individual identity, and I really do miss them. So back in 2002, well, we do have a little bit of identity for the show. RVD's identity tonight is uh, the Skull and Tiger Stripes Mr. Pay-Per-View gear, which is probably one of his more iconic looks. Uh, which is... um. Kind of a no easy feat when you consider his gear's extreme limited lifespans. He could only tend to wear these for about a week at a time before the paint started dissolving off them. And yet, this one does seem to have made its way into a few of the video games. It was the uh, Pum Smuggling Special tonight. It was right up on the crotch, nothing left to the imagination. <laughs> Just f full on testicular bulge popping out there. <laughs> 
also when Jericho came out, there was a sign in the crowd saying Vince screwed Canada. Uh, we're, we're in Columbus, Ohio. So I, sure. I, what? I, yeah, I didn't spot that. And I think I would have probably had to have, have a bit of a lie down if I did. <laughs> I mean, what? maybe he, he just got to the Bret Hart stuff and there's like, Oh, there's a show coming to town. I got to put this down on a sign. It's really pr- yeah. like important to me. The only thing I can think is there's been kind of a storyline going on on SmackDown where Canadian wrestlers think that the company has it out for them, which is going to lead into the formation of the Un-Americans, of that course. That is true, yep. That but is a, that's a very um, odd sign to bring to Columbus, Columbus Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Um, pretty, pretty basic stuff to start off here. A bit of chain wrestling. Uh, nothing too... Uh, nothing too sort of thrilling in the immediate going, but then they, they do kind of kick it up a, a notch. You know, we get a spinning heel kick from Jericho, springboard drop kick attempt, which misses and Jericho splats to the floor. So RVD just hurls himself over the top with a somersault plancher. So y- you kind of think they're going to start off slow, but then we get, yeah, you know, they're, they're waking the crowd up. So, I mean, yeah, both more, one of them is guaranteed to have a second match tonight. So I figured we we're probably weren't going to go all out, but then, they, uh, like, earlier on than I was expecting, they actually picked up the pace there, and like you mentioned, the RVD dive, mm. uh, they were they were putting uh, the work in. Absolutely. Uh, we get a moment where Jericho gets a double-arm superplex on RVD for a two, and then when he can't get the win, he takes off the turnbuckle cover. So as the referee goes to replace the cover, having spotted it, uh, RVD rolls Jericho up, but of course the ref's distracted, so he can't get make the, the count. It's a really, really basic sort of heel-cheating uh, you know, heel heat kind of tactics, but it, I quite like it as a as a, as a show opener. Uh, we do get the classic uh, Jericho ask him as he puts uh, mm. RVD in a bit of a stretch. Yeah, Jericho. I mean, it's stuff that you don't really see too much of anymore. Like you don't see the turnbuckle pad really being a a no. heel thing. You don't. You don't like the little things that just are just so nice to see again. And there's so many different ways you can you can bring them into the match as a heel, and and so many different end results you can have. Um, but yeah, like like you say, it's, it's the little things, and in a way, it feels like part of the lost art of, of this style of wrestling, I guess. Uh, we get a uh, running moonsault, which is nice uh, uh, from RVD. That gets him a two. Jericho then ducks a spin kick. Nails uh, RVD with a uh, with a German, which folds him up uh, for a two of his own. Jericho uh, then eats a split-legged moonsault from RVD, which always looks gorgeous. Yes, it's it's one of his one of his best signature moves. Like I I don't know how he makes it look so effortless. Just it, it's like it's like it's like he's got the sort of like Mario double jump ability. You know, he ju- leaps up and bounces yeah. off, like he's wall kicking off of, off of the yeah. turnbuckle. He, d- he uses the ring in a way that no one else really does in mm. this time. And it's what makes him stand out from the crowd. Absolutely incredible, unique performer. RVD charges at Jericho. Uh, uh, Jericho turns into uh, an attempt for the walls of Jericho. RVD rolls through for a two. Uh, then RVD uh, runs into the exposed turnbuckle, because the referee um, was distracted from putting it back properly, so it's still an element of the match. Uh Jericho uses the ropes for leverage, but still can't put RVD away. RVD dodges a lion salt and a spin kick, knocks Jericho down for a five-star frog splash, but misses. Uh, Jericho then gets the lion salt, but still only gets a two. 
Um, you know, we're really picking up the pace here at this point. Jericho, uh, Ovidy goes for the Hurricane Rana. Jericho counters it into the Lion Tamer, mind you. Yes. Which was nice to where, see. This is where I made my most keen observation of this match, which is that both men have their last names spelled vertically on their boots. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Something, again, you don't see anymore. You but don't. It's just... Like Van Dam was vertical, Jericho spelled out vertically. Old just school. kind of a cool little touch that again that gear yeah. doesn't really have anymore. Yeah, it's just another little way of making the wrestlers stand out. Yep. Uh, we get a little bit of a, a weird fight in the corner. It's a, a bit awkward. Jericho ends up slipping and crotching himself. What? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I didn't even notice that when I wrote it. Down. Yeah, well, RVD LT'd in the corner, and yes. <laughs> Uh, RVD picks up the uh, he hits the five star frog splash picks up the win at fourteen thirty one and advances to the finals. Um, yes. So yeah, in the early going, a little bit slow, but like you said, like despite the fact that RVD of course had a second match later on this evening, once they got into this, there was no slowing down really. No, a uh, perfect pay per view opener. Yep, gets uh, a well established heel and face match. RVD's doing crazy spots uh, for an opening of a pay-per-view crazy. Uh, Jericho can work a crowd like no one else, second to none. One of the mm. best, especially in this time frame. Oh, God, yeah. And RVD can pick up the momentum and work a crowd back into a fervor at a moment's notice. Great. Uh, I put here, this match fucking ruled. Uh, bit of a hidden gem in terms of King of the Ring tournament matches. Yeah. Lots of, one, of those, one of those matches that's sort of lost in the shuffle, because... You tend to only think of the final round matches when you think of of King of the Ring, unless of course you've got a storyline like Kurt Angle wrestling three times in one night. Obviously, yes. Uh, after the match, King gets in the ring, making him the oh, king of the ring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, he get, he goes for a word with Rob Van Dam, asks if he has a preference on whether he'll face Test or Brock Lesnar, and predictably, RVD answers. Whatever, because he has no character. Uh, Jericho is evidently not a fan of this poor writing of RVD, and assaults him and has to be restrained and led to the back by refs, including... Um, oh, refs and agents, including Bald Finley and incredibly shit haircut Johnny Ace. <laughs> did you notice what Jericho did to RVD? Like What's what the move he used? Oh, what was this? He used the one and only. Oh! Because we're at King of the Ring, and this is Billy Gunn Supremacy. <laughs> He wasn't featured in the opening, but he's featured now. He's on all of our minds. Absolutely. As Billy Gunn always should be. The He is the one. He is. We very briefly nip backstage then, where Paul Heyman mocks RVD comparing Brock to Godzilla, and then makes a truly astounding screeching noise as he slaps the TV that he's watching. Heyman then hypes Brock up and leads him to the ring for our next match, which is Brock Lesnar versus... It's only bloody test. Did somebody say hoss fight? Uh, I I sent you my note on the promo, or at least how my note started. Uh, When the camera cut backstage, backstage... Paul is cock level to Brock watching TV. <laughs> like, he is bent over, Brock's just standing up, and it's just Heyman's face, Brock's balls, just in a straight line with one another. What a lovely mental image. <laughs> oh, and also, I have, could it be? It is. It's Hoss time. <laughs> I love how this starts with the fucking Hogan Andre stare down. <laughs> 
So this one's kind of got a bit of a reputation because it's just two dudes knocking the shit out of one another, and I sort of love that. Uh-huh. Um, I I signed up for this show uh, specifically to cover King of the Ring 2002 because of Test versus Brock Lesnar. It's it's one I've been looking forward to because, as we know from uh, previous things I have stated on the show, Test rules, and I'm a big fan of the guy, and I'm a big fan of Brock, and I was looking forward to this. So, um. I can, I can, I can officially reveal, listeners. This was not quite the same as the previous match we've just. This got match sucked. <laughs> I'll be the one to say it. The reputation this match had doesn't fucking deserve to be merited. It's not a good match. It's plotting. It's slow. They just kind of maneuver around one another. Test can't lead a match. Brock's not good, like experienced enough to lead a match. They just kind of do a thing to one another occasionally, and it's not great. It's it's not as good as I remember. I will certainly admit. I mean, I I I enjoyed it as. A hoss fight as a match, not so much. Yeah, um, if you want a hoss fight, find uh, a couple years ago at one of the Joey Gentle Spring Break show, PCO and uh, Walter now Gunther. Jesus. They had a they had a hoss fight. This <laughs> can only imagine. pales in comparison. <laughs> this is this is pretty slow and plodding and methodical in the early going. As Slip mentioned, uh, it's there's a lot of sort of. The two of them locking up and, mm-hmm. you know, going for displays of strength and Brock generally coming out on top. Yep. Um, the crowd chose also- Goldberg for Brock, which, again, yes. I think is a little bit unfair. Um, yeah. Like, because, like, with the, the greatest of respect to Goldberg and fully understanding what Goldberg's role is... Brock's a wrestler and Goldberg's not, you know? Goldberg, True, but Goldberg's a, a smash mouth, kick the shit out of you guy, and he's great at that, obviously. But Brock yeah. can actually go, so... Well, I don't think they've really shown that side of Brock. That is true. He's mostly so, having short matches, so in that regard, yeah. He's I, a I, powerhouse I, dude that's blowing through everyone in like three minutes or less, which is what Goldberg was there to do, you know, early on fair. as well. So I see the comparison. Uh, also, early on, someone in the crowd had a Sting 316 sign, so maybe I was just in a bad mood at the, from the get-go on this one. Whoever you are, if you're it's still in Columbus, Columbus is the worst town in America. <laughs> and it's because of you. Because of that one guy, that one, one person. person yes. Wh- whoever you are, I hope you're happy. Um, the interesting thing I noticed with this one is even though Test has spent the last month or so being an absolute shit right because he's up against brock he's getting a pretty a pretty warm reception here he's getting right you know, yeah getting he, he's kind of the de facto baby face in this one and test i mean honestly test is great hmm. i love test uh i think he deserved a lot better than he got i think his smarmy ironclad contract run was really good yeah uh but god just this match did not do like I thought. I wanted to love this match. I really did. There's I I I feel like most of my notes are pretty much test goes for a move, but Brock powers out of it, or uh, test you know Brock, Brock goes for a move and test powers out of it. It's it's kind of yeah, like you say, this didn't sort of live up to the the hype that I'd built in my mind with it. Um... We get, uh, eventually Tess gets the pump handle slam, 
but Brock escapes it and then Tess pretty much immediately <laughs> hits it again, just making that completely pointless. Um, mm. We get a couple of big boot attempts. There is a really fucking good big boot at one point, though. He hits the big boot. Test hits the big boot. He, 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 hits the, he hits the boot so hard that Test's own momentum carries through and sends Test to the floor. That's how fucking hard he hits it. If Test hits the big boot, the ref should count to 15. Yes. There's no kicking out. Test's <laughs> big boot is the best big boot it's wrestling incredible. has ever seen. One million percent. And no one should ever kick out of it. I don't care if you're Brock Lesnar. I would be inclined to agree. Um, however, in 2002, Vince McMahon would not. <laughs> because Brock, <laughs> Brock kicks out at two. Uh, t- oh, t- tell me more about what 2002 Vince McMahon would be up to. Hmm. Oh, uh, probably better not, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm thinking I'm going to stick with my own opinions here. <laughs> There's... Um, we, sort of, we sort of round in on the finish. Test goes for a second big boot... Uh, which, you know, obviously if he nails it, it it's implied, well, that's surely going to finish it. He uh-huh. gets hit in the back, unseen by the ref, by Paul Heyman. And by a camera. Yes. <laughs> uh, and the distraction is enough for Brock to hit test with the F5, which is now officially, finally named, um, and pick up the win in 8 minutes and 12, which sends him into the final match of the tournament against RVD. So... so- yeah. So Test is in the corner. He's loading up the boot. Mm. Uh, Heyman's supposed to distract him or grab him or something. But Heyman misses the cue or something. <laughs> so, like, as Test starts to move forward, he kind of, like, jolts backwards and turns around while Heyman is still trying to reach out at him. And then Test just kind of flails over and falls, like, falls over a it's little bit. It's very It's odd. such a bad finish. It's not great. I think there's been speculation in the years following this, and obviously Test is sadly no longer with us, so we'll never know, but there's been speculation that Test was... He he sort of saw the writing on the wall with this one because Brock was rising up the ranks into the same big dude that beats the shit out of people role that Test had been filling, and I think he probably knew that was Brock's role to to have. So I, I think... Speculation has sort of been rife that maybe Test wasn't feeling too thrilled about this contest, and while that did lead to maybe the two of them hitting one another extra hard, it probably led to a little bit of extra sloppiness like uh, like that, and obviously Heyman missing a cue, probably uh, not too hot. So yeah, and not not as good as as I remembered, but yeah, I I will admit I still enjoyed it, but it was not. I I think following on from the preceding match, this was quite the come down. Justice for the big boot. It deserves better. Absolutely. So then we have a string of uh, bollocks to pad out the show now. <laughs> I actually loved both of these backs or both of these things just because I I made a joke and then the joke paid off immediately. Oh God! Because <laughs> uh, we it first starts with Coachman backstage uh, in front of a door that just has raw on it. Mm. And he's talking and it's uh, he's talking to Bubba Ray Dudley who, about who should win the King of the Ring. Uh, but Bubba says that, that he wishes it was him in the finals. And I, and I put, does he think Impact Wrestling is booking this? Because, 
of his. I, I wrote this before Bubba's main or his world title match on uh, an Impact show. Again, this show has been delayed a little bit, just a little. <laughs> and then late, like a couple lines later, he says he's going to find a different way to make an impact on this show. And oh, I'm like, geez. hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Thus preempting Bully Ray by a good five or six years. years. <laughs> yeah. I guess he was Bully Ray in 2011. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I suppose he was Brother Ray, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, what a convoluted, what a convoluted series of uh, individuals he's been over the years. <laughs> a convoluted series of individuals this one person has been. <laughs> Elsewhere, you know, you Sorry. know what? As a Rosemary fan, I understand. Sure, oh god, yeah. Elsewhere, Mark Lloyd, who Jr. calls Greg Lloyd, not even his co-workers know who he is, and I call some fuck in a SmackDown <laughs> shirt. He enters the SmackDown locker room, and he happens to bump into Lance Storm and Christian. Uh, and they say that they wanted Jericho and Test in the finals as an all-Canadian affair. And now the finals are all-American, which proves Lance's uh, conspiracy theory right, and that WWE is prejudiced against Canadians. Uh, Christian then adds that America is prejudiced against Canadians. Uh, Lance says that as Canadians, they need to ensure they don't get sucked into the hatred America engenders, and they need to carry the flag of civility, tolerance, and peace. They are heels. Yeah, I have, uh, they're angry about Raw in America, and considering how much Raw in America suck, how are these not the biggest baby faces in the <laughs> Seriously? <history? laughs> these are the biggest baby faces in my life right now. <laughs> they are spitting nothing but facts. Lance Storm and Christian deserve the same justice as the big boot. Absolutely. But... Fret not, dear listeners, because put this to the back of your mind, these uh, four Canadian talents will be, uh, will be... We'll be seeing a bit of an uptick in the coming weeks as they band together against those awful, awful Americans. Awful. Just awful. Meanwhile, up in the rafters, not Sting, but Taz and Michael Cole, who did not bother wearing a suit, decide to introduce the next match, which is a bit weird, because you'd think that they just have them on commentary for it instead of having them you introduce think. it. Uh, I think this may be the last time they do it this way. I could be wrong. It, it's one of one of the last times at least because very soon the SmackDown guys do end up calling the SmackDown matches on pay-per-view. Which is the way it should obviously have been from the yeah. beginning. Gotcha. Like, it, it's weird to me that they didn't put Cole and Taz on, on the table here tonight and at the same time still called them in and gave them a pay-per-view payday. Like, if they're already there, would you not just have them call the match? Michael Cole, by the way, talks so much fucking shit about Nidia in this segment. He... That, that continues. Mm. There's a running theme tonight at, of what, what you can only describe as the thinnest veiled, uh, God, misogyny. I don't know why that word just blanked from my mind, but commentary tonight in terms of all four of the commentators are just awful. Yes. Uh, Cole calls Nidia a freak and a witch, which is lovely, obviously. Well, that's better than what the Columbus, Ohio crowd calls her in a little bit. Oh my god, is it ever. We'll get on to that. <laughs> so, um, next match then. WWE Cruiserweight Championship match. The Hurricane defends against Jamie Noble, boy! Uh, the video package for this is so fucking low effort. It's pretty much a yes. Smackdown recap package with black and white and red and white filters on it. Zero effort. Um, <laughs> however, <laughs> I watched this with my girlfriend and uh, there was a line that popped her real big hit. 
Michael Cole stating, Jamie Noble and Nydia have made some impact. Just 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 some, just a little <laughs> bit. Little bit of impact, like. Anywhere between twelve and fifty-four percent of an impact. I <laughs> um, haven't narrowed it down quite yet. No. I want to say right off the bat, I fucking adore the Noble and Nydia character, and I know I've previously mentioned that on the episode where we covered their debut, but uh, they've been around less than a month at this point, and they are so into this gimmick, they're nailing it week to week. So, more chain wrestling to start things off then, as the bell rings. Bit more ferocity to it, perhaps, than the opener. You know, they start off uh, at a faster pace, because obviously these guys don't have to worry about having a match later on in the evening. Uh, and obviously the Cruiserweights have to wrestle a different style of match. So you know to tune in to SmackDown, where they are exclusive, of course, as we are reminded by commentary. Uh, Hur- yeah. Hurricane <laughs> Hurricane goes for a chokeslam. Noble fights free, uh, only to run into a, su- uh, a super kick for two. Uh, Hurricane... Okay, N- now. Hur- yes. Hurricane applies a figure four head scissors... Yes, he does. Which is cool. Uh, And the fans respond to this by shouting, She's a crack whore at Nydia, which is a chant so appalling that even Mm. Jerry Lawler apologizes for it. Yes. And that's Jerry Lawler, the massive sexist, by the way. uh, Lawler uh, changes his tune very quickly, though. Mm. Because... at least somewhere along the line, JR says that Nidia looks like she needs to take a long and hot shower. Jeez. I, because, of course, she looks like a filthy crack whore, I guess. Mm. Lawler says that JR wants to join her in that shower, uh, but JR says that Nidia's young enough to be his daughter. And Lawler says, You say that like it's a bad thing. Whoa, Jerry. Come on now. My- JR replied with, Well, for you, that's a different ballgame. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, considering his marital history, yeah, true. Yeah. There's another extremely bizarre line on commentary. Um, Nydia, at one point, in the process of distracting Hurricane, leans over, and JR asserts there is no squatting no in squatting wrestling. No squatting in wrestling, yes! What?! <laughs> I have that same thing written down in its own little like line by itself. What the fuck are you on about, Jim? I have no idea, but I had to include it. And he's like so passionate about. It. There's no squatting in wrestling. Like I, I like the the line as I recognize it, and you know, as a British fan at least, as I'm familiar with it, is there's no crying in football. And then yes. obviously that later sort of got parodied when JL would say there's no crying in wrestling, but no squatting in wrestling. <laughs> what? Also, there is plenty of squatting in wrestling. <laughs> there's loads, fucking loads of it, mate. There's a really cool and really fluid electric chair drop from Jamie Noble at one point. Yes. Um, and as he picks up a two-count for it, Jerry Lawler implies that Hurricane is bad at doing a sex at a woman. Yes, because he is ill-equipped and has undersized tools, essentially. Jesus Christ. Like, we're, we're watching Jamie Noble, one of probably the best sort of technical no, cruiserweights, and Hurricane, one of the of best... these guys like, are great. Yeah. Like, Hurricane as a high flyer is incredible. Like, these two are fantastic, and we're spending the whole match talking about Hurricane's penis and Nydia being smelly. Yeah, Allegedly. It's it's like, these two are killing it. They're doing great spots. The electric chair was very smooth. The super kick earlier. All the stuff they're doing is really sweet, and the crowd's going, she's a crack cord, and Lawler's like, his cock is small. <laughs> that That's getting the talent over, brother. It's 2002, what can I say? <laughs> 
I literally have this is 2002 as fuck in my notes. <laughs> so, yes, you are correct. Hurricane uh, attempts the Eye of the Hurricane. Noble counters it with a bridging German suplex for a two. Uh, fighting back, Hurricane gets the Eye of the Hurricane successfully and gets a two count of his own, which completely kills his finish. Nice going. Mm-hmm. Hurricane manages to retrieve his cape because Nydia had stolen it. Uh, but then Nydia steals it once more, making it completely pointless. Uh, Noble tries to cheap shot Hurricane, but he gets suplexed out of the ring and almost buckles his leg along the way, which is fucking horrifying. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a lovely crossbody from the top rope to the outside by Hurricane, which always looks great when, when Hurricane does it. The, just the positioning of his arms in that sort of very superhero kind of dive that he does. Uh, Nydia distracts Hurricane, and as a result, Noble is able to baseball slide him from uh, within the ring. Noble then gets Hurricane on the top rope. Hurricane fights him off and delivers a, a pretty crowd-pleasing neckbreaker from the top rope as the crowd finally wake up. Yeah. Um, he goes Avalanche the- neckbreaker from the top rope. Like, pretty awesome for 2002. Yes. Again, the cruiserweight's absolutely ahead of the curve around this time. Because this is kind of the stuff that you'd see from, like, a... a, I'm inclined to say heavyweight, but maybe more of a middleweight, if you can sort of... If you you get what I mean. We don't really have that in wrestling, but... These are are moves that you'd see your your regular dudes doing now. Like uh, a Seth Rollins type. Sure, yeah. Bulky, but he's a main event top guy. Absolutely. Uh, Hurricane... Uh, okay, uh, attempts the cover, but Nydia distracts the referee. Hurricane goes over, and she slaps him in the fucking face. Noble charges at Hurricane, and Hurricane dodges, and Nydia uh, is knocked off the apron. Hurricane then chokeslams Noble for a two, and this means then that both of his finishes are dead. GG. Yeah. Uh, although the crowd were really loud for the, the chokeslam. They uh, popped the huge for it. They really wanted Hurricane to win her. Yes. So he climbs the turnbuckle, Noble runs into the ropes and crotches Hurricane and hits a fucking gross powerbomb on him. Mm -hmm. Hurricane gets his foot on the bottom rope, but Nydia, not seen by the referee, slaps the foot off the rope and allows Noble to pick up the match and the Cruiserweight Championship in 11 minutes and 58. I thought this was pretty damn good, although the crowd didn't seem to notice until the last couple of minutes, which is a real shame. Yeah, good match, bad crowd, terrible Lawler. That's that was my summary of that match. Yeah, fair. Heading backstage, then, Jr. recaps the Rock's arrival earlier in the night. He, uh, <laughs> which is which is very strange. Just this backstage footage of the Rock entering the building doesn't do anything. He he literally had to sell a man showing up to do his job. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Rock is here as advertised. You can't call us liars. Uh, the Rock is on heat, he means business, and JR says, so does Terry. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Terry Runnels is standing by with Eddie Guerrero. Uh, Terry asks Eddie if he's worried that he may have unleashed the dirtiest player in the game by attacking Ric Flair with the help of Chris Benoit. Eddie, clearly not remotely bothered about Flair, decides to say hello to his family watching at home, and then vows to put Flair in a retirement home. Eddie... Could not give shit number one about this match. No, and uh, I just want to say, first off, Hector Guerrero got a pay-per-view mention in 2002, which is awesome. Hell yeah. (laughs) And uh, 
boy, does Eddie just literally brushing aside any sort of sincerity about this match pay off in the match. Mm. Weird little moment at the start of this match, then, because up next is Ric Flair versus Eddie Guerrero. Flair, on the uh, WWE Network, at least, comes out to his 1990s theme, which is a bit bizarre because his theme was composed in 1896 and is comfortably (laughs) in the public domain. Uh, Ric Flair's theme song sounded particularly farty tonight, is what I put down. I was going to say, it's not edited very well either, so it makes you wonder what in God's name the point was. Uh, they show the crowd when the music hits and they're all obviously popping. Mm. Uh, so the crowd like lifting up their sign. Someone has a woo sign, but it, it's upside down and backwards. So <laughs> instead of it saying woo, it says oom. Oh my god. <laughs> the W at the front became an M at the back. The reverse cow, if you will. That, that was... <laughs> That was the highlight of this match. Unfortunately. <laughs> pretty well immediately, this feels like a mismatch. Flair yes. is really slowly feeling his way around the ring. Eddie, on the other hand, is absolutely bursting with energy. He's bouncing all over the place. And pretty much immediately, you can tell that they are not going to click. Yeah. Eddie this... in that... Sorry, and, uh, Eddie <laughs> earlier with Terry says that he's in the best shape of his life. Mm. And when he said that, I like, dear God, the size of that vein in that arm. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, yes, because, well, well, we know how that turns out. Um, One of the best to ever do it, though. Oh, God, yeah. No question. This is, uh, this was a consolation prize of a match. Yes. Because Ric Flair was in a storyline with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Eddie Guerrero was feuding with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And because Austin has quit the company, um... The two of them have been thrown together at the last minute, so I can I can understand if they're not feeling it here tonight. Um, right. Jr. and King you... even mentioned how Eddie was originally going to going to face Stone Cold, which feels like they might as well have said, "Oh, let's have a look at what you could have won." Yeah. Uh, did you ever play my GM in two K twenty two? Yes. So uh, you know, like the drama curve that they wanted you to book the shows on, where they want like a. A good match, then a lower match, then good, lower, good, like, yes. kind of like have the ebb and flow. Yes. This pay-per-view felt like the equivalency of a MyGM pay-per-view, because match one, the Jericho RVD, great. Match three, Jamie and Nit- and Hurricane, great. And they really want, went down low for the, the fourth match for that drama curve. They're, like, straight away, I mean, as well, like, not only does it feel like there's no chemistry going on here, but... Eddie's like he he's he's doing the the heel tactic of taking a powder, you know, heading to the ring, you know, yes. just avoiding confrontation. There's a there's a fairly funny moment like um, Ric Flair at one point points at Jr. and King, and the referee follows his finger, and as he does that, Flair mule kicks Eddie in the cock, which is <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny as a, as a, a Ric Flair dirty move. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Like, there were some good points to it, but it was such a slogging, Mm. slow, trudging type of match. Because, I mean, it is Flair in 2002, and I realize she still goes on for years after this, but this just wasn't it for either man. No. The problem is, as well, not only is Flair past his prime, if we're being generous here... But also, around this time, he is really down on his abilities. He, He is not happy 
with himself as a performer, and we're unfortunately going to be dealing with that for the next several months before he sort of gets a bit of a boost back. So, again, Eddie just powdering to the outside, which the idea is I think it's supposed to irritate Flair, but all it's doing is dragging the pace of the match down, unfortunately. Eventually, we... Uh, so somehow, by the way, somehow Flair is bleeding from the forehead. I have no idea how that happened. I just assume that when the moment he hears a, a wrestling bell ring, like <laughs> his skin immediately gets like paper thin. <laughs> it's just like an ornate ability that's in his genetics now. Bell rings, flare blades. Exactly. Eddie eventually gets uh, Flair in the figure four, and the crowd are really not into it. No. They're looking for someone to call a cracker, I think. Probably so, yeah. Uh, Flair does manage to dump Eddie over the top rope, and Eddie rolls into the commentary table, uh, gets back in the ring, and gives Flair an overhead suplex, climbs the top rope for the frog splash, but Flair rolls out of the way. But, following a chop block and an attempted figure four, Benoit is back, and he walks shirtless down to the ring. He, uh... Yeah? Y- yeah. D- I, mm. It, it, like... I don't know how to explain this, because Chris Benoit doesn't wrestle in a shirt, but when you have him in just ordinary, just regular old trousers and no shirt, yes. it looks very odd. Uh, Flair does get the figure four locked in, uh, but Eddie reaches the bottom rope. Eddie then reverses a suplex into a roll-up and grabs the tights for a two. We get uh, you know a little bit of back and forth here, lots of near falls exchanged. Eddie then nips onto the second rope and hits a tornado DDT, but Flair gets the foot on the bottom rope. Eddie then <laughs> chokes the referee and pulls him away to admonish him. A um, little bit. Which is, which is kind of funny. Um, and as, as referee Chad Patton is telling Eddie off, uh, and Eddie's reacting really cartoonishly, as only Eddie can, Benoit pulls Flair out of the ring, puts him in the cripple across face, uh, the ref gets out of the ring to tell Benoit to leave, and then Bubba Ray Dudley hits the ring and absolutely blatters the fuck out of Eddie with a Bubba bomb. Yes. Benoit chases Bubba off, Flair crawls into the ring, and picks up the win at 17 fucking minutes. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, disappointing. If you, ever wa- if you ever wanted a way to make 17 minutes for like 17 hours, put this match on. I I went away from this, and my immediate thought and my first note after the word disappointing is, man, I wish we'd got Eddie Stone Cold. Yeah, that could have been incredible. I I'm gonna be honest, I don't really lay the blame entirely at Eddie on this because you can tell he's got all the energy in the world, yes. but Flair's dragging him down. Yes, and and that's not even me sort of like shitting on Flair, but it's like there's only so much Eddie can do with a with an opponent that's not giving him anything. Now. Forgive my ignorance. Is there a reason for Bubba Ray Dudley to be out here? Has he had any interactions with Eddie Guerrero up to this point that would cause him to interfere like in such a manner? Not particularly, no. I didn't think so. Why the hell is Bubba Ray Dudley dick-riding Ric Flair all of a sudden? It's very odd, and I don't think this pays off particularly either. I don't think there's... I could be wrong. I could be misremembering, but I certainly don't remember Bubba and Flair having any kind of alliance. Because we're not all that far removed from Flair turning heel again. He's turned face within the last two weeks, and he will be turning heel again. See? Bubba, it really is Impact Wrestling. It's just a random appearance that leads to nothing. 
Bubba, Bubba knows what's going on. Speaking of absolutely nothing... Oh, my God. It's the world where oh. William Regal and Chris Nowinski complain about the service. Uh, the waitress arrives with their food, and they mock her for attending community college, with the hilarious unintentional humour stemming from the fact that the waitress basically says she's only paying her way through college. Which yes. means that a job at the world is not desirable, and WWF's own restaurant, uh, sorry, WWE's own restaurant is a piece of shit second job. Yes, and also the sh- service is slow and shitty, and the food <laughs> doesn't get there at any sort of good time for you to actually enjoy it. They're literally burying their own restaurant <laughs> on their own pay per view. Why would you fucking go here? Also, they they get like nameplates, but they don't have the uh, the cum drooling out. So <laughs> I guess. I guess maybe there was some sort of like health uh, thing about that, like <laughs> couldn't have cum dripping out at your restaurant. No, it's a violation of uh, health and safety code. We can't have that. I also had uh, get the f out ad of like a woman doing like uh, lawnscaping. I don't know if you had that on yours or not. Yeah, it's it's it's. I think that was the first one they did. We've had a couple since then. We've had my particular favorite one is the WWF logo in a bar, being a sleaze and hitting on women, and then one of them fucking bottles him and knocks the F off and turns him into the current logo, which is quite funny. And then he becomes like a suave ladies' man. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is which is fucked, but funny. This was just some crazy person with, like, a chainsaw and, I think, gasoline at some point. <laughs> I don't know. It sucked. How better to tidy your garden than by setting it on fire? I mean, I'll be honest, looking at the state of my back garden, I'm, I'm tempted myself. True. However, things that don't suck. Things that don't suck. It's the WWF Women's Championship match with Molly Holly challenging for uh, Trish Stratus' title. Trish, by the way, in the WWF No Mercy gear. Is it WWF or is it? It's E now because we just had to get the F out ad. Yes. No, but I mean, like she's wearing her gear from the N sixty four. Okay. <laughs> You just called it the WWF Women's Championships, that's all. Oh, did I? Oh, I must have mistyped. Yes. I must have mistyped. I'm very sorry. My brain's on autopilot. Well, you see, I, if you I, listen to this podcast <laughs> called Ruthless Aggression Relived, you might find out about the timeline of the WWF turning to the WWE. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Humiliating me on my own show. Uh, we start the match off with Trish throwing her little hat at Molly, which, is, <laughs> which made me fucking crease. So, the story of this match. Oh, my God. Or... Because that's all that this match has, is this story. And the story is is that Molly Holly has an ass. Yeah. So, for those of you that haven't been been, um, keeping track or watching the episodes between shows, the storyline, as Slip alludes to, is that while Molly's been doing her pure and wholesome gimmick, Trish decided to insult her by saying that she has a fat ass. Um, she then repeated this about 7,000 times in the same segment. And I, I, I'm i going to... I think we've probably mentioned this before, and we will probably mention it again. The commentary here is pretty gross. Um, oh, God, yes. I, I, I really appreciate how Molly went along with the big backside gimmick, such as it is. But I think JR and Jerry are absolute fucking pigs here. Much like Lance Storm and Christian, I don't know how Molly Holly isn't the biggest baby face in the world for having a fat ass. I mean... That... <laughs> how how times change. <laughs> exactly. I mean, even back then, it's like, what's the issue here? Yeah. I, I, I mean, hey, all she needed to do was do a big flying hit bump and call it the rear view. 
and then she would be over like Rover. Uh, JR, there was one line that got me laughing, though. JR mentions the idea of him in a thong is a disgusting visual. Uh, I don't know about you, yeah. I got a Christmas card with that very visual on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I did. <laughs> I fuck, I just, uh, the, time, the time frame this, uh, I just called the WGGP Multiversal Championship match with JR in a thong. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, you, you didn't have to worry about that visualization we took care of it for you jim <laughs> god damn it that is I, that is the one and only christmas card i have saved <laughs> and it's like i think molly has trish like in an arm bar and they're talking about uh her, 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 her can you imagine that in a thong can you imagine a man in a thong and like how much liposuction do you think molly would need to get a, a normal quote normal sized ass it's gross it's like, do you think she like takes up an entire aisle in an airplane or something? That's she's a she looks fine. She looks perfect. I I never like even as even as a kid, I never understood this storyline because I'm looking at it like her ass isn't that big. What's going on? We don't know. No, I think like I you know if 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 somebody gunned to my head asked me to explain why I thought they'd done it, I would say that it's probably because Molly's got wide hips, and that's true. She does. But I don't think that automatically means she's got a big ass. No. It's weird. Uh, we get a lovely pinning Hurricane Rana from Trish, which gets a two, uh, followed by a neckbreaker for the same. And I, it was around this point where I noticed there's a little bit more confidence in Trish's movement. Yes. You know, spending the time in the ring with the likes of Jazz and Molly and Ivory over the last couple of months. And you know, I believe if I've... Uh, read correctly she was doing a little bit of work outside the ring off camera and you know really working on training with the the, the wrestlers of the women so to speak so it, right. they're, they're really intent on Trish being the face of the division but they don't want her to suck and that's great because it's not going to be all that long before that changes very much with uh, one of the future <laughs> faces of the division who could not and probably still can't run the ropes yeah I mean uh the story of this match let it down. The commentary in this match let us not let this match down. This, I mean, it was it was not given a lot of time. No. But the time they had, it was used sublimely. Both these women absolutely delivered. Fantastic match. If you can just mute the commentary, watch two, two of the best women of the era have a sprint. Absolutely. Molly drop kicks Trish out of the ring, and Trish falls like a sack of spuds. Uh, Molly yes. follows, her, follows her out and throws her at the barricade, and Trish goes up and over. And like, I something that I'm really appreciating in in these matches, rewatching them, is like Trish is fucking teeny tiny, and she hurls herself about like nobody's business on these moves, and yeah. it, it's just really good selling. You can never you can never understate that Trish Stratus does not sell for her opponent. I can't think of a single time where she hasn't made someone look as good as they possibly can. Absolutely, absolutely. She's always giving, even when she, even when she is fully formed as a wrestler, and she is kind of the icon we know her as. She's incredibly giving, heel or face. Uh, Molly gets Trish back in the ring, follows her in, but gets caught with a chick kick. Uh, But (laughs) Molly doesn't. uh, Molly's not pinned. uh, for the victory by she climbs the turnbuckle Trish crotches her hits the stratosphere Trish then slaps her backside in Molly's general direction and then her elbow pad falls off which is strange yeah. <laughs> um, she goes for the stratisfaction Molly shoves her at the ropes catches her in a bridging German for a two hair pull slam from Molly sets Trish up for a molly go round 
Trish evades. Molly lands hard. Predictable commentary. Yes. Trish rolls Molly up, but Molly rolls through and grabs Trish's tights to win the match and the women's championship at five minutes and five seconds. So my question is, why not just let her hit the finish? Uh, because we got to get that one last line in about her landing on her crash pad of an ass. True. How? What was I thinking? How silly of me. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I also got to get the one-ups of the grabbing the tights for the win because a, a clean heel win is not a good win, I guess, in the WWE oh, 2002. No, we, we can't have that. Uh, I I think this is a, a decent little match. Five minutes. Absolutely. It's never going to be remembered as an all-timer, but I, damned if these two didn't do their work in that little time frame. Yeah, if again, if you just don't let the commentary uh, interfere or the, the story of the match interfere, the, what they do in the ring, stand on its own, it's a great little five-minute sprint. Uh, and a win for thickness is a win for humanity. <laughs> well... What more can we say, ladies and gentlemen? Backstage, Mark Lloyd is here with Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle gear watch. Kurt is wearing the Superman gear, but this time it is red. Yeah. I will let you know the first line I have of this because oh. it is uh, telling because I knew you were going to ask for Kurt Angle gear watch. It is right there. <laughs> backstage with Kurt Angle in fucking abysmal attire. It, yes. Oh, my. it's not great. The, the blue does look good. The blue is, in fact available for you to play in WWE 2K23. 2K, PayPal me money. Um, <laughs> the red is not, because it looks bad. Um, Mark Lloyd says, Some, citation needed, are calling Kurt's match with Hulk Hogan a battle of the real American heroes. Kurt asks what Hogan ever did to become a real American hero. Kurt says... Yes! <laughs> Kurt says... Fucking let him know, Kurt! <laughs> Kurt says, fuck your kayfabe, and says Hogan's only a hero because that's the gimmick Vince handed him. Um, by the way, this is actually important for the future. <laughs> Kurt recalls his experience at the last year's King of the Ring when he wrestled three matches and vows to make Hulk Hogan tap faster than Mr. Bojangles on speed. <laughs> <laughs> Up in the cheap seats, Taz and Cole discuss the match, and Taz says, Kurt's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kurt, Kurt tries out some new catchphrases, like you mentioned, the, the tapping out like Bojangles on speed. Uh, he's real, he's legit, it's red, white, and blue true. Ooh. Was another thing he dropped. That's a clunker. Which, uh, I said, just keep, just stick with what works, and uh, keep telling the world about Hogan's stolen valor. That's all you need to do, Kurt. You don't, you don't got to try out anything new. Just the three eyes, the it's true, uh, and then Hogan stole his valor. Yes. Uh, I like how on the build up to this match, Hogan's storyline basically has been, "Haha, you are bald," whereas Kurt's storyline has been, "I am going to break your fucking foot, you stupid old piece of shit." <laughs> yeah I'm into it I'm here for it um, so then Kurt Angle versus Hulk Hogan is the next match of the evening we have a pretty excellent fan sign during Kurt's entrance that says say no to rugs in reference to the wig oh I missed that one <laughs> unbelievable that is great Kurt still <laughs> Kurt still has the wig despite Hogan having previously removed it so at this point it's it's kind of like it's on its swan song now. We're sort of like, okay, it's too ridiculous now, Kurt. Nobody can possibly believe this anymore. Um, I thought the the point was that it was supposed to be ridiculous and like over the top. 
Well, if you, if you listen to Kurt, it was it was real hair. It was you know he he wasn't bald. His hair miraculously regrew. Good for him. <laughs> um, there's some fun little uh, stuff in the early going here with Hogan doing the lockups and overpowering Kurt. It pretty much immediately devolves into standard Hogan shit. But because you've got Kurt Angle in there, he's giving things more energy and more fun than Hulk Hogan's usual dance partners. Um, after a reasonable amount of time wasting, Kurt decides, well, that's enough of that, and just clubs Hogan with a clothesline. Yeah. Time wasting is the key word there, because less than a minute in, they're already on the mat, headlock, yeah. talking through. Just less than a minute. Hogan, yeah. seriously. Hogan hurls Kurt out of the ring, bounces him off the barricade, uh, and then takes Kurt to a guy in the front row who is dressed as Hulk Hogan and yeah. and beat Kurt up in front of him, which probably gave the that's that's nice, you know. Admittedly, that that probably made that guy's night. Gave him a photograph that he cherished forever. I, I fair fucks to it. If you are a Hulk Hogan fan, Hulk Hogan loves you. If you are any other kind of fan, eat shit. Back in the ring, Hogan rams Kurt's head into the turnbuckle, and the fans count along before a wind-up punch takes Kurt down. And the fans are really into it. You know, Hogan is over. I don't like the guy, and I don't like his wrestling, but there's no denying that he is getting reactions. Yeah. (laughs) Sadly. (laughs) I mean, it's name value, it's recognition. He was the biggest thing of, you know, a decade. Yeah. Uh, Hogan goes for the headgear, uh, but Kurt hits a mule kick out of the referee's line of vision. Lots of lots of screwing with the refs tonight. Yeah, that that feels very uh, symbolic of this era, though. Yeah, it's it's pretty standard procedure. Kurt stomps and chokes Hogan with his boots before chopping at him in the corner, and then gives him a really big back suplex and milks the moment with the crowd. Another back suplex gets Kurt two. Um, Hogan then gives a suplex of his own, the first wrestling movie he's done since 1994. <laughs> we then get the standard Hulk Hogan sleeper hold spot with Kurt getting Hogan in the hold. The referee raises and drops Hogan's arm once. He does it twice. He does it through. No! He powers up and slaps on a sleeper hold of his own. Angle says, eat shit, fuck you, and suplexes him again. Yes. Uh, Kurt nails Hogan with an angle slam and gets a very close two count. And the straps come down as Hogan hulks up. The fans go fucking nuts as we get the, the standard Hulk up combination, followed by a big boot, and Hogan rips off the wig. And to be honest, Kurt looks so much better bald that it's fucking ridiculous, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Hogan fires Kurt at the ropes. Kurt pulls himself out to avoid a big boot. Kurt... Oh- <laughs> I forgot this. That just made me crack up again reading it in my notes. Kurt audibly calls Hogan a stupid bastard and says, screw you, and prepares to walk out of the match. But then Hogan puts the wig on and, oh, that's more than Kurt can stand. Brings a chair into the ring, swings it, but we get the Kurt Angle special as it rebounds off the ropes and cunts Kurt in the face and knocks him down. Yep. Beautiful stuff. Always funny. Hogan hits the big boot, goes for the atomic leg drop, Kurt dodges, rolls through, locks in the ankle lock. Hogan agonizes at this. He closes in on the ropes, and Kurt drags him away. Hogan tries to kick Kurt off, and Kurt refuses to let go. Dead center of the ring, 
Hogan taps out at 12.05. The crowd go fucking nuts. Here's your trivia for this match. This is the first and only time Hulk Hogan has ever lost a match by physically tapping out. Fuck you, Hogan. I mean, I didn't I didn't remember this match even happening on this show. Mm. So when I saw it, I was like, okay, well, so they're going to put Hogan over Angle. That's great. You know, just, you know, fuck you, Angle, I guess. Yeah. Got to keep Hogan looking strong. And then when he hits the ropes, or hits the chair off the ropes, and, you know, he's going down, and the leg drops kind of, I'm like, all right, well, you know, miserable match, whatever, moving on. And then he moves and gets the ankle lock. I'm like, mm. okay, how the hell are they going to get Hogan out of this situation <laughs> and make him look even stronger than before? They are simply not. And then they didn't. And I'm like, this doesn't make up for what you made me sit through, but you made the right choice. Oh, God, yes. Absolutely. Um, here's a fun little backstage story for you. Uh, this is one uh, Kurt Angle recounted on his podcast. After the match, Hogan had a word with Vince and told him that Kurt was El Stiffo. Uh, however, we are in full fuck-off Terry Vince mode, and Kurt is the best of all time, so nothing came of it. Eat shit, Hogan, fuck you. On what? Was his sleeper hold a little too snug around the neck for you? He had a couple suplexes on you. You know, wrestling moves you, a wrestler, should be willing to take. Oh, we can't have that. Can't have that. Come on now. Um, By the standards of Hulk Hogan, this is probably the best match that we've had on the timeline so far. Uh, oh, it's all in the dance partner, and Kurt is the best anyone could hope for. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think it's of all it that Kurt. way. It's, it's all Kurt. It's all uh, Kurt. It, it's miles better than the Undertaker match, oh but... Oh, God. That's not saying a lot, though. That really is not saying a lot. No. Backstage, then. Booker T tries to enjoy a drink before being interrupted by Goldust dressed as The Rock. I couldn't stand what I was seeing. Booker <laughs> T had pants on. I didn't see his naked ass tonight. <laughs> Judgment Day 2002. Go back and listen to it if you didn't. Booker T's ass straight out there. <laughs> Goldust acknowledges that The Rock isn't Booker's friend, but reminds Booker that Goldust is his friend. And then the real Rock sneaks up behind him. Uh, Rocky rolls through his catchphrases, and Booker, in response, drinks his water. Booker then imitates Rock's imitation of Ric Flair's catchphrase. Yes, do you have this written down? Y yeah, uh, no, okay. oh, the, the verbiage, no I don't. Do you, do you have Oh, you a, don't? No. Yes, I do. Uh, he said, instead of worrying about any of that, that The Rock should be worried about the jumping into the grill of the check cashin, sucka trashin, never loony, spin a rooney, slamming jammin, five time WCW champion. Good lord. Which, when you think about it, not bad. It's not, not too terrible. Uh, go never loony, spin a rooney, <laughs> however. Bit of a tough sell yeah, there in the not middle. Not sure on that one. Goldust. Check cashin, sucka trashin. Pretty great. Yeah. Goldust tries the same uh, and then realizes that he's just crap at rhyming, so he gives up. <laughs> uh, Booker tells The Rock that the two of them never see eye to eye, but he respects um, what he what The Rock said on Raw, um, which was some kiss-ass bullshit, by the way. Yeah. The Rock tells Booker that he's here to see the Undisputed Championship match, a match that he says is bigger than all three of them. Goldust rubs his penor. The Rock well, calls him a sick freak. He says the match is bigger than the people's elbow, and it's bigger than the spinner Rooney, and it's bigger than... 
I don't even know what the hell you do, Goldust. <laughs> the Rock tells Booker and Goldust to lay the smack down on the NWO, delivers one final catchphrase, and leaves. This was very silly, and had Brian Gewurz's fingerprints all over it, quite frankly. Yes. And obviously, following on from this skit with The Rock, Goldust, and Booker T, naturally, we're following that up with Brock Lesnar and Rob Van Dam. True. And what a match it is. It is. It's, it's, it's something. Uh, so we get the King of the Ring final match. Um, I, do you know, honestly, I genuinely just checked my notes there and I was like, did they really run the NWO tag match after this? No, they just plain didn't have the NWO have a match on tonight's show. I, no, <laughs> there's a thing with them, but we'll get there. There we go. Um, there's a sign in the crowd during this match with uh, Brock and RVD, which compares Flat Top Lesnar to Bert from Sesame Street. <laughs> Which, I that one. That that's funnier than the Goldberg chance. More of that, please. Uh, I the one I did saw, see. There was a uh, an RVD sign that had a math equation on it. <laughs> it said RVD two times the square root of eight forty squared. I can only I know assume thinking, that that, uh, that the answer is course four twenty. Sure. However, the answer is not four twenty. The answer is one thousand six hundred eighty. <laughs> I did the math myself. You are fucking stupid. Whoever held that sign up. Columbus, Ohio, you really... You, you give us a good sign, and then you take it straight away. All that goodwill immediately go. <laughs> Vince screwed Canada. Vince screwed... He screwed Canada so much, man. Brock immediately overpowers Rob in the, over, uh, the opening moments. Uh, Rob fights back with his speed, and that kind of makes clear what kind of match we'll be getting from both of them. Good booking from WWE? No. Not for too long. Not for too long, no. RVD catches Brock off guard with kicks and a Superman punch. A young Roman Reigns takes note. Uh, his corner monkey flip is countered into the biggest powerbomb in the universe. Which looks amazing. Brock slams yes. RVD into opposing corners, and RVD genuinely looks to be in agony. Enormous standing power slam from Brock. Fucking hell, says my notes. Only gets a two count, however. Brock then puts Rob in... Uh, he gives him a double backbreaker and puts him in a bear hug, and he- uh, Heyman shouts, Squeeze! <laughs> Before RVD can fight out, Brock shoves him into the corner, crushes him with his shoulder thrusts. Brock then charges at Rob. RVD dodges, and Brock spears the ring post. Ouch. Uh, Brock catches one of RVD's kicks and goes for a press slam. RVD fights out with a combo of kicks, goes up top, and nails his uh, patented diving kick, following up with a rolling thunder for two, with Brock powering out so much that RVD sent flying across the ring. RVD then tries to push the advantage, climbs up for a five-star, and hits it. Uh, but as the referee checks on Brock, Heyman rope guillotines RVD, who bounces back and falls on Brock for a cover, but uh, Brock kicks out at two. Uh, Heyman lets out a panicked scream and looks like he might be having a heart attack, which is fucking <laughs> amazing stuff. Yeah. RVD baseball slides Heyman in the back to knock him down, climbs the turnbuckle and moonsaults off. Brock says, no thank you, catches him, F5s him, picks up the win, the crown, and a place in a SummerSlam main event at 5 minutes 36. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you pack a short match. Yes. Uh, they gave RVD way more than I expected. I figured this was going to be like a 30 second, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to five you and win type of thing. No, they gave RVD some serious offense. Ooh, 2023 Brock Lesnar would give him 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. But also, yes, Brock Lesnar is your king of the ring. Who could have seen that coming with the guy that literally only call the next big thing at least a thousand times? It, it did, in a way, feel like... Preordained. Yeah. 
it's it's like we've been kind of going through the motions, and obviously the storyline has gone that Heyman has yeah. been the one to suggest the SummerSlam main event in the first place, so logically, it could only be Brock picking up the win out of... But also, it's absolutely the right pick. Oh, I gotcha. Mean, gotcha. There, there was no one but Brock to have this spot. I, I absolutely, and that is borne out by what happens. RVD, to be fair, I don't think anyone would have been upset if RVD had won King of the Ring, but there, there's there's other things you can do with RVD to get him over, and I think this yes. elevates Brock out of the the mid card stuff he's been doing, and you know now he's a, a serious character. Yeah, Brock was definitely needed the the quick rise type absolutely. of thing. He didn't need a, a stunting of his momentum right here. Absolutely. Backstage then, Triple H heads through the corridors, where he bumps into Shawn Michaels and Kevin Nash. After a brief moment of tension, the three embrace as friends. Hunter then hugs X-Puck. He does not hug Big Show. (laughs) Very awkward. Nash tells Hunter to throw up the click gesture if he needs any help from the NWO in his match. Hunter says nothing and walks to the ring. Uh, That's pretty well your lot for the NWO. Yeah, they don't show up in the main event, even though they, they dropped the thing about throw up the sign. Yeah, they seeded it, and yet... Hmm. It's time for the main event, ladies and gentlemen. The WWE Undisputed Championship is on the line as The Undertaker defends against Triple H, and this video package fucking rules, to be honest. Um, the feud has not been that good, honestly, but after watching this video package, I am ready for these two to fucking kill one another. <laughs> And then so, something truly glorious happens before the match even begins, as Paul Heyman joins JR and King at ringside and lights a yes. fire under both of them. Yes. Thank you, Paul. So the the most famous Triple H Undertaker matches are clearly the WrestleMania matches. Yes, absolutely. None of which I would ever say is particularly their best matches. No. Or in their top half of good matches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they have a couple of a couple of those WrestleMania matches have built up a reputation over the years of being like astonishingly good, and you go back to them and you're like, well, which ones? Oh, the, la- the he's the last outlaw. Ooh, he's a he's a evil cowboy. Ooh, he's a smelly rebel. Ooh, he's a dickhead. Here's Shawn Michaels. Ooh, he, he hits the ref so hard the ref's out for eleven minutes at Jesus. WrestleMania 17. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I like I, both of these guys are good with the right opponents. I like I feel like they have had matches that are good, but I think it's one of those where they get kind of overblown by reputation. You go back and you watch right. them and you sort of go, "Well, that's not quite what I had in my memory." <laughs> yeah. Like uh I've talked to Johnny about this. Johnny, another member of New Legacy who also is part, uh, one third of the Deadlock podcast, yes. and they do a bunch of the uh error reviews of like retro shows uh, like this time frame a little before a little after. And every time the Undertaker shows up, it's like you were good. What happened? Why why is this so bad? So it's like kind of looking at the Undertaker from then now really just kind of goes why was I such a huge fan of this guy? <laughs> I feel like, and I, I hope to God that now that I'm saying this, I hope I'm not going to be proven wrong. But right. I feel like this is kind of a rough patch for Undertaker, but we're coming up on a good patch not too long from now. That's that's fair, I would say. That's fair. But at the same time, that doesn't make it any more palatable in the meantime while I'm sort of sat there going, come on, you can do better than this. Yeah, absolutely. This is... 
this is not the best from either man. I wouldn't say this is horrible by any means, but both men are capable of better than this easily. Uh, <laughs> it's it's again a, another slow start. We get the fight spilling to the outside. You know, ba- barely minutes in, and we're getting shortcuts already. Yes. Uh, we get the traditional Undertaker slam your head into the steel steps spot. Uh, Triple H blocks it, though, and manages to hit Taker on the steps. Then Irish whips him knee first into the steps. Surely that won't come back to haunt Undertaker in later life. Oh, absolutely not. The dude's notorious for having uh, well-working knees. Yes. Jesus Christ. 13-minute entrances. <laughs> No wonder he had the motorcycle. Oh my god. Uh, Hunter goes for the... Uh, they get back in the ring. Hunter goes for the ten punches, but uh, Undertaker counters with snake eyes. Uh, Paul Heyman asks if Jerry the King Lawler would sell six of his nine ex-wives for a shot at the championship, and King is absolutely flustered by this. <laughs> Heyman is so good. He's brilliant. He's he's sort of needling both of them. Because this, like, this is Heyman's tactic when he's on commentary with, oh. with JR in particular and he's gone on record saying this if you piss JR off you are going to get his best work out of him yeah I mean all of 2001 is uh, almost all of 2001 mm. basically February until November-ish yes uh, Heyman's the color commentator and he's so good in that role and Glorious. even like in like the late 90s uh, Lalo was the anti-ECW force of the WWF so him, him and Lawler and Heyman have a camaraderie and they uh, rapport with one another that they know exactly how to work it. Oh god yeah. Uh, Heyman keeps on needling away at JR and claims he has something unbelievable to tell JR later on about The Rock Um, which we will come back to don't worry that that isn't like forgotten Um, Undertaker hits Triple H with his apron leg drop which uh, is a move I always love and I'm kind of surprised to see him do it here I, I thought that was one that he did more regularly later on uh, again, we slow right on down, and we spill outside again. Yeah. And I, I, at this point, I kind of don't know who's at fault for this one, because it feels like both men have done a bit of this over the last few months, and it's it just feels like they're both being very lazy, um, where, yeah. where at all possible. I mean, we, we had the, the Hell in a Cell match, of course, at, uh, at the previous episode that you and I did, and it, again, there's a lot of fight around the outside of the ring. And, I, you know, all right, fair enough, it's a hell in a cell match. You can fight wherever, but it's it's right. it's a shortcut. They're both guilty of it. Uh, we're entering a post-Austin era, so mm. it's a lot of things. Because Austin was, like, the king of the, the walk-around and brawl type. Oh, God, yeah. And, but the, he had a, an energy to it that kind of worked for some reason that these two just do not have within the, each other. That just kind of makes every shortcut and the walk around the ring and I'll slam your head against something and you kind of stumble around and we can kill a minute and a half doing that. Yeah. It just does not work for these two. No, God, no. Uh, to make things slightly more exciting, Paul Heyman claims that Brock Lesnar smacked The Rock in the face in the locker room area and punked him out before throwing him out of the locker room and out of the building, which, uh, of course, JR and King do not believe. Uh, Undertaker and Triple H are back in the ring at this point. Undertaker pretends to flop into the corner exhausted, but surreptitiously removes the top turnbuckle cover. He tries to slam Triple H's head into it, but Hunter blocks. 
only for her to take a firm into the opposite corner. Taker Irish rips Hunter towards the exposed turnbuckle. Triple H reverses and Taker wallops into it with his back. Uh, rebounds into a neckbreaker from Triple H. Nice little combo, I thought. Uh, Heyman raves about Lesnar as Undertaker hits Triple H with a DDT for a two. Uh, Undertaker goes for a choke slam. Triple H fights through and goes for a pedigree. Undertaker counters, slingshots Triple H into the corner, and right into referee Earl Hebner. Oh no. <laughs> what could possibly be about to happen? Undertaker charges in with a clothesline, Triple H dodges, uh, and Paul Heyman gets hit uh, in the confusion. <laughs> Somehow. Uh, the Rock's music hits. Uh, he's obviously yes. sick of hearing Paul Heyman uh, speak absolute shit on commentary, and he chases Paul Heyman off. The Rock comes down to the commentary table, puts on the now-abandoned headset, and explains that Heyman was lying, and says, in fact, if Brock came up to him, he'd shake his hand for his victory, and saying that Heyman is talking out of his ass as usual. So Rock now joins us on, on commentary. So this is a, yep. an easy payday for Rocky. <laughs> I mean, he arrived at the building, he talked about Goldust's penis, and he <laughs> went to the commentary table. He literally did everything Jerry Lawler did, but he did it in like one-tenth of the time. For this, he was paid $100,000. Good for him. <laughs> uh, Undertaker grabs a baby blue steel chair, brings it into the ring, but Triple H fights him off, nails his signature face buster, and clotheslines Undertaker to the commentary area. The two brawl by the timekeeper's desk. Undertaker knocks Triple H down with a big boot. And then gives one to The Rock for good measure. The Rock sent sailing into the Spanish announce team, who collapse in the funniest fucking fashion imaginable, in a big heap on the floor. Uh, Taylor picks up uh, Taylor. <laughs> Taylor Swift is on this show now. Take a pic- oh. <laughs> Taker picks up another chair, aims it at Triple H, but The Rock is quick to get back in the fight, pummeling Taker. Uh, the Rock takes the chair and swings, but Taker dodges, and The Rock hits Triple H with it. Undertaker. Uh- Sorry, go ahead. Earl Hebner still out, by the way. Yeah. I just want to say. Because <laughs> uh, this, this gets kind of lost here. Earl Hebner still unconscious for some reason. <laughs> Undertaker pummels the rock, throws him into the barricade, gives Triple H a little time off camera to uh, give it the old nick and twist and give himself a lovely red forehead of blood. Triple H uh, is thrown back in the ring by Taker. Uh, Taker lifts Hunter up so fucking high for a last ride that Triple H's arse nearly comes out of his pants, and damn near shatters him into pieces with the move. Nick Patrick finally decides to hit the ring and makes the count, but Triple H, that badass super cool action hero, kicks out at the count of two. Un- so, Undertaker, sorry, go he, ahead. <clears throat> he knew that the re- match needed a new ref, but didn't know enough to not have the match end by disqualification because The Rock hit Triple H in the head with a chair. Yes. Okay. Continue. Well, it's that it's that sneaky, shady Nick Patrick, isn't it? We can't trust him. He's working for the NWO, of course, of course, which is why he tried to count the count on Triple H, who is buddying up with the NWO? Question mark, exclamation mark. <laughs> um, the Undertaker punches Nick Patrick out, <laughs> <laughs> making everything pointless. Um, yep. And Undy turns around into a series of strikes from the rock and our rock bottom. Rocky leaves the ring and head towards the back. Hunter crawls agonizingly in for the cover as Hebner comes to. Crawls like a man dying in the desert, yeah. He makes the count one, two, and Taker kicks out just before three. 
The two men try and drag themselves to their feet with some effort. They both rise eventually, undertake a walk straight into a pedigree, but Triple H is too exhausted to make the cover. Crawling slowly into position, getting in some practice for the following year's WrestleMania. Hebner is dazed and confused <laughs> and can't make the count. He hurt himself in the confusion. Yeah. Triple H then goes to check on poor Early Whirly Murley, his bestest ever pal, leading him prone to an uppercut to the bollocks from Undertaker. Taker, schoolboy's Triple H, grabs his tights, and Earl counts three, giving Undertaker the win and allowing him to retain the WWE Championship at 23 minutes flat. Uh, atop the ramp, The Rock looks disappointed, knowing he'll catch some fallout from this. Uh, Undertaker motions to The Rock, and Rocky hits the ring. Rock nails Taker with a spine buster, hits him with a people's elbow, struts around the ring, and walks right into a pedigree. Unfortunately, as Triple H turns around, he finds himself caught by the throat and takes a choke slam from Undertaker. All three men are battered, bruised, beaten, and in Triple H's case, bloodied, and the show ends. So to streamline the ending there, mm. uh, Hebner gets bumped by a slingshot in the corner. Yes. The Rock comes out. Yes. Heyman runs off. Yes. The Rock joins the commentary table. <laughs> it's getting a little convoluted now. Uh, they they brawl to the outside. Mm. Uh, Taker hits hits Triple H. Hebner's still out. <laughs> the Rock also gets hit by Taker. Uh, the Rock doesn't want to stand for this, or so grabs a chair uh, and swings at Taker. Taker ducks. Triple H gets hit with the chair. Hebner's still out. Uh, Taker knocks the Rock out with I don't have with what, but he got he. Gets the rock out of the way for at least a little bit. Triple H is ble- bleeding. Nick Patrick comes out. Hebner's still out. Not checking on Hebner. Uh, no disqualification. Counts the pin. Triple H kicks out. Taker hits hits Patrick. Hebner's still out. <laughs> uh, he- From a slingshot, by the way. Nick Patrick going out. Means the rock comes up because you can only have two people down at the same time. One person has to stand up when another one goes down, I guess. Musical chairs. So then rock bottom. Hebner's still out. Triple H slowly drags over to it. Hebner wakes up because apparently, I guess, seismographic <laughs> movement of the ring of Triple H earthquaked Hebner back into a s- sort of fugue state of cognizance. <laughs> Ca- slaps them out a couple times. On that second slap, I guess the, the, the sound waves of it hit the right note that knocked him out again. Fucking ridiculous. (laughs) I love how that was the attempt at clearing up the confusion of what happened, and if anything, made it more convoluted. Yes! And that was just literally what happened. And that was like five minutes. Who booked this? My God. Of your world title main event. This is overbooked. I I think, as as we've said, not the best work from either man. This was no. a slowie in the early going. I didn't mind it once it started going. Um, I thought the stuff. Yeah, with the, I'll give it that. I thought the stuff with the Rock was really good because the Rock is still kind of firing on all cylinders at this point. Um, I I would be willing to say good, but not great. Uh, I would say it's very slow, very boring, very just forgettable opener. Got got fairly decent in the mid run. Got super contrived in the end, which I guess kind of is a WWE main event when you really well, get down fair, to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not not a great match. Not even a good match. Not one that you really should go out. But I mean, it didn't 
grossly offend me, I guess. Mm. And I'll be honest, I I felt even even though this was a slow eat to start, at twenty three minutes I actually felt less like I was losing the losing attention in the match than I did with Flair and Eddie. You know what? I take it back. I had to watch this match twice. This match was awful. <laughs> I hated every second of it. Forty six minutes of my life was dedicated to it. Apparently, you could have watched one really good episode of Doctor Who in that time. Why? Why? Uh, why did I not do a Doctor Who podcast? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, do you have anything that Stephen Moffat didn't write? Did he write this match? I hope not. Probably wrote, probably wrote the fucking women's match, let's be honest, knowing his propensity to write At least the commentary matches. for it. Oh, Stephen Moffat, you big silly sausage. Uh, <laughs> on the whole, then. That's a great crossover that like, maybe 15 <laughs> people will enjoy. The, the Doctor Who WWE, the behind-the-scenes people, <laughs> yeah, not even the people even on the camera. The, the showrunners and writers. That's <laughs> that's what everyone cares about, right? Into the long grass with that one, ladies and gents. On the whole, then, King of the Ring 2002. I I'm, I I enjoyed this one. Um, the crowd were oddly quiet all night, I thought. But I enjoyed basically every match on the show. Even if they weren't great, um, I would say the only fully underwhelming match, in my opinion, was Eddie and Rick. Because... I kind of hoped for a little bit more from an Eddie match. There wasn't really anything else that I thought was absolutely terrible. Uh, I suspect you're about to uh, go against that. (laughs) (laughs) How would you summarize this one? Uh, Bad, I guess I would say. Not... I would I I know I preface by saying one of the worst shows I've ever seen, but it was just bad. There are a lot of things that just didn't work. Mm. Eddie and Rick just didn't work. Kurt and Hogan just didn't work because I mean you have the best technical wrestler of all time in a match with Kurt Angle. Who's gonna want to sit down and watch that? You're not just gonna let me get away with that one, are you? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Let me call Hulk Hogan the best technical wrestler in the world. Sure. I I think my my brain didn't quite make the connection there. <laughs> I was like, well, that's too fucking ridiculous for words. You can't possibly mean that. Hogan and Angle just didn't work. It was so much like plotting and slowness. Mm. Like so, that's did so many of these matches. Uh, things that I did like because there was some Jericho RVD was a, a really good match. Yeah. Uh, if if you ignore the commentary and the crowd, the uh, cruiserweight match with Hurricane and Noble. Very good. Like both of those guys. Like Nidia t- as well. Yes. Uh, the women's match with uh, Trish and... Why is my blinking on the name? Uh, Molly. Molly. Yeah. Fantastic five-minute sprint between those two. They deserve way more time. They deserve better story. They deserve better commentary. Absolutely. Uh, those three were very redeemable, very good matches. Mm. The commentary, the everything else, just I could not stand. And I had... To go through it twice. <laughs> I'm very sorry. It's not your fault. It's definitely my own. Because I decided I'll take very like kind of streamlined notes because the show's very really fresh in my mind. And then we didn't record for six weeks. <laughs> I do you know actually on on that point of you mentioning the commentary, I think it's amazing how much it can affect your enjoyment of, of the show because I, there were so many Absolutely. there's so many times this evening where I was constantly distracted by it and I gotta say considering people will be so quick to tell you that 
King and JR are the best commentary duo ever. They're fucking not here. No. Uh, Paul Heyman and JR were, were probably, is probably my favorite from mm. the 2001 run they had. Mm. Incredible, those two together. But, yeah. but Heyman doing basically anything's incredible. He's, I, I mean, over his, he must have been in the business for what, like 30 odd years now? And in that time, he's done very few stinkers. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mike Tanay, Don West. I mean, that's not for everyone's cup of tea, but I loved those two together. Sure. But I would not have Jerry and JR in my top three, maybe not even my top five. Mm. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to court controversy here. They're not in my top spot out of the two main teams of this era. Uh, no, Michael Cole and Taz, absolutely. Yeah, fuck yes. I think, I think, uh, if, if I fuck it, he, he was barely on this show. Let's talk about Michael Cole. Cole gets a lot of shit because he's not JR, and that's a recurring right. theme throughout his career. Yep. And when you let him just be himself, and you absolutely, don't have, yep. you, you know, you've not got. JR producing his commentary and trying to make Michael Cole be JR, and you've not got Vince yeah. McMahon screaming in his ear. When you just let Cole be himself, he's a really good commentator. And I, yeah. I honestly, to this day, Cole and Taz is my favorite pairing on commentary. And if that uh, makes me a Philistine, then so fucking be it. The UK tournament that he did with Nigel McGuinness on commentary, mm. fantastic two day work he did. Beast in the East, the uh, special they did, the one day special from the Japan show yeah. that Michael Cole called. He was incredible. I think he was a solo booth on that, just him. He was great during that. Yeah. Uh, his run with Pat McAfee on oh, SmackDown. And amazing. Those two are fantastic together. Amazing. Like, my- Michael Cole can can be, and got way too much slack, but he can be one of the, like, a great commentator. Yeah, he's he's honestly part of three of my favorite commentary teams over the years. Um, two of which we're going to get on this timeline. The other one being McAfee. Um, but yeah, Colin Taz number one, and I like his first run with JBL. Oh God, yes. Second run, JBL had a stroke apparently, but the first <laughs> go around they were fucking great together. Actually, ooh, is that on this timeline, or is that a little later on? Who knows? Anyway, it doesn't Uh-oh. matter. <laughs> Either way, Michael Cole, good. I'm a Michael Cole apologist, damn it. Um, Michael Cole, good. King of the Ring 2002, bad. Mm. So before we get into high and low, I want to very briefly touch on the aftermath of this show. This would be the final King of the Ring pay-per-view, and the tournament itself would lay dormant for over a decade. It does come back um, somewhat sporadically, in WWE these days, it's usually every 18 to 24 months these days. Whoever wins it gets the fuck-awful king gimmick. They've now mm. introduced the Queen's Crown, which is the female equivalent, um, which has not been booked very well in its one and only appearance. Hopefully, second go-around will be better. And whoever wins that gets a <laughs> shitty Queen gimmick. So, fantastic stuff. Well, considering the locale of that event, I'm going to say they don't. Probably no. <laughs> Um, the pay-per-view being wound down was not addressed on WWE TV, but there was a tie-in publication, I don't recall whether it was WWE Magazine or some kind of book or whatever, they did give a kayfabe reason, uh, and that was that Brock Lesnar's ascent to the top was so dominant it would be impossible to top his victory. This is, of course, nonsense, as Kurt Angle's own debut year had been pretty much a similar rise to the top, including a King of the Ring victory. What are you talking about, WWE, you fucking idiots? Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. 
So they're literally saying that anyone that we ever hire and and book in the future will never be as good as this one person. Which when you think well, about well, the way yeah, they now, now, now they spell it out like that. <laughs> mm, yeah, pretty much. Actually, you know what? WWE, you're right. Yeah, you're right. yeah. I take it back. They're, they're genius. They they were booking thirty years in advance. God, what a fucking idiot I am. Right. Then. <laughs> Uh, highs and lows then what do you think was the high point of tonight's show the high point I will give to Jamie Noble and the Hurricane Hmm. if you turn off the commentary fair that's a fair caveat I believe Hmm. I think that both those dudes uh, were put in the position to fail and they went out and they uh, did the damn thing I thought it was a great little match they had I think the cruiserweight division deserved way better than it was given credit for in the time of 2002 because that's basically what grew today's main eventers. Absolutely. Give it a couple of months. We'll be getting there. There's a very important cruiserweight joining the roster not too long from now, of course. Um, but, yeah, at the, at the minute, the cruiserweight championship is not being treated too well by the company. But, you know, Jamie Noble, he's good. So hopefully a good gimmick behind it will reinvigorate the belt a little bit. Fingers crossed, anyway. Uh, for me, I for my high point, I've put Brock Lesnar, because I thought he was pretty fucking good this evening. Even though, That's fair. Uh, even though the, the test match maybe didn't quite live up to the expectations, I thought Brock was great in his physicality. The RVD match, it was a, a five-minuter, and he, he was fucking excellent in it. Both of them were in, the, in that short time frame. I'll put a, an honorable mention out there for Paul Heyman. Oh, uh, yeah. The the RVD spot where he hung him on the ropes but still almost inadvertently got Brock pinned. Hilarious. Paul sold it beautifully. Uh, the cut backstage where he's cock level with Brock <laughs> looking at the TV. Just great work. The commentary during the main event. Paul Heyman delivered uh, in spades. For me, Heyman is, a, is an all-time performer. Yes. He's fantastic. Everything he does, you're pretty much guaranteed for it to be gold. Uh, low point of the evening, then. What do you reckon... <sighs> Sounds like you have a few to choose from. <laughs> there's there's a plethora of choices. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Jerry Lawler. That's absolutely Just because fair. He, he had the biggest impact on the entirety of a sh- the show because he was constantly there. Mm. And he was just awful the entire night. Not just great. added nothing of substance. Just tried to be obnoxious. And I no, I was done with it by the end of the second match. That's fair. Um, I have, for my low point, um, Eddie Guerrero versus Ric Flair, purely because it felt like, yeah. uh, much as I much as I kind of hate to say it, it felt like Flair dragged Eddie down. I, I expected Seven. something a little bit more. 17 minutes. 17 minutes of nothing, it felt like. <sighs> yeah, I mean... Again, I can't argue with that. I mean, that's very much a doldrum point. Mm. So, other than that, though, I still have to say I quite enjoyed this. So, but then again, maybe if I'd watched it a second time, I'd have been in agreement with yeah. you. Who knows? <laughs> watch it once. That's that's a good recommendation. <laughs> yeah. That should that should be the the DVD review. Watch it one time. Three stars. If you buy the DVD, it should disintegrate a second the the closing <laughs> credits run or whatever. So, ladies and gentlemen, before we draw to a close here tonight, let's have a look at what we've got for the rest of the month. Goodness me, what a busy week. Uh, The week following this, we have three episodes of Note. 
We have, on the following evening's Raw, Vince McMahon getting all of the Raw talent around the ring to make a speech. That's going to be quite a quite an important moment in, in WWE history. I wonder what he'll have to say. I wonder if it has anything to do with the name of this show. Watch and find out. Uh, I'm going to be joined by uh, John Porter for that one. And then Tuesday night of this same week, the 25th of June 2002, we have, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, Divas Undressed. Oh, fuck. I forgot they brought that up on commentary. Yeah. Um, I have listed on the uh, on the sign-up sheet for this, the main event, the fantasy free-for-all. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah. Katie Lawson's joining me for that one. <laughs> what a fantastic <laughs> guest to have for that episode. Katie is the only person that would not immediately block me on social media for suggesting they join me. Um... And then Katie's also the only person that I don't think you'd even need to record it with. She'd just watch it with you and just commentate <laughs> the entire time and doesn't need an audience for it. I think that she'd just be down for it regardless. You're probably right. Uh, and then on the 27th of June, on the SmackDown, uh, there's a debuting talent of some note. Kurt Angle gets involved with uh, with a wrestler. Nobody, nobody of note, just some guy, you know, comes out to the ring, pretty standard, generic, red trunks, red boots. Mm-hmm. What, what, who is who is this guy? John Cena? Oh, surely he won't ever go on to be anything important. Definitely wouldn't be featured in the 2K23 showcase mode. Oh, shit, that's right. If you want to get like, if you want to get ahead of the curve, buy the video game, I guess. Yeah. Play through this exact moment. <laughs> yeah. And watch it because they want to put the real clips in there instead of letting you play through the fun stuff. Yeah, thanks for that, TK. Oh, we go, Slip. Where can the listeners find you on Twitter and the internet? Uh, they can find me at New Legacy Slip on the Twitter. And I believe that's also my Instagram. I, I occasionally use, but very sparingly. Uh, aside from that, twitch.tv slash New Legacy Inc. You can catch me on lots of streams there mm-hmm. where I faff about and be a bit of a minge, I believe, but- to use words that i think are proper the the common british parlance yes i appreciate that thank you very much for yes. using the correct diction <laughs> uh you can f- cheerio pip, pip. Pip, pip and whatnot uh, you can find me on twitter at lt dangerous you can find the show at ra relived or you can email us lt ruthless aggression at gmail.com send us your thoughts send us your hate mail no don't send hate mail <laughs> send, send nice <laughs> things please um but yes, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you again next time. And until then, thank you so much. And see you again, I guess. I don't have a proper sign off for this show. What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> see you guys. Bye. To be relived. Oh, I like that. <laughs>